You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hello, hello, hope you're well and I've had a good start to the day. So today is another interview on my Accountants Live series. And I have one of my very own today, uh, Ted Gill, who is part of my mastermind group, has kindly agreed to come on to the podcast and tell us about his story. And it's an incredible story of how he has grown his firm to beyond a million pounds with just five people, with most of that growth coming in the last couple of years. We're going to get stuck into Ted's story, how he, how he got into practice and what he has done to get these exceptional results to get to this incredibly profitable practice with just a few team members. So uh, without further ado, let's get stuck in and I'll see you on the other side. Hello there, Tej. Hello, Reza. Thank you for having me on. A pleasure. A pleasure. How are you doing today, Tej? Yeah, good. Thank you. It's uh, I had Monday off, actually. So today's the first day in the office. It's nice. Only Monday. No, it's Monday. Monday. You only work one day a week, don't you say? <laughs> yeah, today's the day. Today's the day, fantastic. Excellent. So today we're going to be discussing Tej's journey. Tej is an incredible journey. We've been working together for about probably about a year or so now, isn't it, Tej? Um, and uh, he recently told me that he surpassed that million pound barrier. So I thought, right, we need to get Tej on. We need to talk about his story and share some of that motivation and inspiration with you, the audience, if you're watching today, to see what it's like to uh, to grow your firm to a million pound plus and what does it look like and what can we learn and from from Tej's journey that you can apply in your practice to shortcut your results to get to where you want to get to. So without further ado, let's get started. As always, any any questions, put them in the comments box below and I will endeavor to put them to Tej. If you're watching on a replay, again, feel free to put your questions in as they come to you. And hopefully, you know, if Tej is around, that he can respond as and when he sees them on the various platforms. So to kick off with Tej, just give us a little bit of backstory. How did you get into running your accounting firm? Share share that story with us uh, and then and then we'll get on to the rest of it. All right, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. But um, so my journey, I suppose, in accounting started in 2006 when I started working at KPMG in London. And the pertinent point of that is actually that's where I met my future wife. Um, then spent a few years in in practice there at KPMG, realized that big business is not what you what you think it is when you're young and naive, and then moved into industry, spent some time at an oil company um, where I ended up heading up their M&A and corporate development team and then took a year out. We had some young kids, they were about to start school, so we thought it was a nice time to spend a year at home. And uh, the pertinent point about um, meeting my wife at KPMG is actually her father had set up a practice back 30 years ago now. And so after taking a year out, I knew that I didn't move, want to move back into London. So started working in the the, the family practice so my wife and I both work here now as well um, and uh, yeah that's kind of a nutshell journey from starting work to to having our own practice now when I when I did start um, here it was very different to sort of the work that I had done before so there was a bit of a learning curve um, when I came into practice but then the last couple of years as Rez said has been a bit of a journey to um, change how we do things and, um, and grow the business. 
Brilliant. Fantastic. All right. Uh, another thought Another thought and question has sprung to mind about what it's like working with your wife, but we'll park that one and, and discuss that in a minute. <laughs> not, not recording an answer to that one. <laughs> so, so talk to us about what did the practice look like when you joined? Sure. So in terms of people, there was um, two full-time and a couple part-time, and then I came in as well as full-time. Um, and it was as you'd expect for a practice of being around for 20, 25, 30 years, uh, it was all very legacy kind of systems, very legacy kind of clients. Everything was virtually paper-based at this point as well. And this is only in 2018, so not that long ago. Um, and everything was still very, very manual. But that said, there was a there was a good base of clients. There was a really big, um, wide variety of clients and some clients that were you know pretty sizable who had been been with the firm throughout their journey from from the start of their own businesses through to the largest one had a group turnover of around 20 million pounds so in some respects it was it was still you know operating in a very old way but it had great potential with some of the clients that that we had um, on board already brilliant fantastic so so give us a sense of what were the kind of turnover levels when you first joined so turnover when we first joined was around 450, 500,000. Um, and that was, uh, so at the time it was all compliance work, uh, limited company clients and self-assessment, but it was all accounts, fat returns, tax returns, um, very little in the, the way of projects and advisory work at that point. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was growing, but it was pretty, pretty, pretty slow growth. And it was sort of the same sort of turnover level for a couple of years running. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Okay. All right. So I, I'm guessing the first couple of years you're still trying to, you know, it, you, as you said, it's not kind of an, a, a, an environment that you've been in before. So you're still kind of letting the roads, figuring out, okay, well, how does practice work? That sort of thing. When, in terms of you say the turnover stayed the same for a couple of years, because like you said, you're only 2018 and we're only kind of five years on now. So what kind of stuff did you start to do to then really ramp up that growth? Because you're at kind of a million plus now, so you've nearly doubled the size of the practice in the space of just a few years. So talk to us about that journey. What, what were you doing? What was your mindset like back then in terms of, right, okay, I've got this business now. I've got the, the base is there. The foundation is there. I want to grow this thing. What did you start doing first? And then how did that then materialize into the kind of the, the sudden growth that you've got in the last couple of years? Well, I think that, yeah, the first point is that when I, when I started here, as I said, it's not the kind of accounting work that I've done. So the best analogy is like when a lawyer trains, they learn all the aspects of law, but then they specialize in family, criminal, whatever it is. And so my background in, in uh, since I'd qualified was in first in restructuring um, while I was still at KPMG, then it was very much finance and M&A type of um, accounting works, evaluations and all that. So the first couple of years were spent kind of relearning the stuff that I'd learned in theory about how to do accounts and everything like that. But at the same time, we kind of knew that something had to be done to modernize what we were doing, start using software and things like that. And we kind of did talk about it initially, but um, you know, we talk about zero and bringing in zero QuickBooks or something like that. And, you know, we had one client that came in, he had a fish and chip shop, and he came in with his papers wrapped up in cling film. And you just looked at it, there's going to be a while before these guys are going to be able to start scanning their invoices and loading them onto auto entry or Dext or whatever. So we kind of knew then there was, there was going to be a bit of a transition plan needed. But it's one of those things where if you look at the end destination you kind of get 
put off by the size of the task of where you're getting to. So really it was, it all started from having to break down to, well, what's the first thing, where's the first system we can change? Then what's gonna be the next system we can change? What's gonna be the next system we can change? And that's how the, the thought process started. We ended up changing a few things quite quickly. Um, one thing was to just start using QuickBooks and rather than getting clients to do stuff, we just would still receive everything in the same way and then start putting it on. But one of the other big things was around the, the pricing. So one of the things you talk about a lot, a lot Reza, is, is charging really what you're worth for what you do. And so that was one of the big, big changes was when we started using pricing software to one, make pricing more consistent rather than you know just thinking at the time, okay, when you're doing the invoice, how much should we charge this person for what we've just done? Um, so that was one of the big changes, but in terms of not getting overwhelmed by the size of it, it was really just trying to break down what are the key, key systems that need to be changing first. And then everything else kind of follows on from those and the pricing and getting the team using software was worth, you know, QuickBooks were the first couple of things that we started doing. Mm, fantastic. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great reminder there that often people think about growing their firms to add to their bottom line, but actually they don't realize that there's a lot of uh, potential, a lot of profit just locked up in your existing client base. And I know you've done an incredible job and every time we've done a repricing challenge that Ted has been at the top of the leaderboard in terms of uh, the numbers that he's generated of just repricing existing clients and getting incredible results from that process alone. So just talked about, you know, that that process, how you went about it and you know, just some of the, the figures, if you remember that you've, you know, over the course of the last year, how much kind of unlocked, how much profit have you unlocked from your existing client base? Yeah, I think that's that's actually something worth pointing out. So like I said, this was all in 2018 when it started and we're now 2023 and a couple of years and that we're just figuring out what to do. So we've only been on this journey probably since about 2021 of changing changing how we're doing things. And so actually not even all the clients have yet been repriced. We, this, we kind of, we're doing, we did them in sprints almost like, right, let's get this, this many done and then this many done and then look at other parts of the business that needed sorting out as well. But the way, again, I mean, but the repricing itself, depending on the size of your client base, that in itself can look like a bit of a daunting task if you just think I've got 400 clients to reprice. So again, it's a case of breaking it down. And actually what really helped was, um, there was a book that I read called The Four Disciplines of Execution which is very, very textbook. It is, it is like a textbook. It was very difficult to read the first time I tried, but this time I was in the right place for needing to read it. And it just, it just was a lot easier to read, but it essentially has four, um, four steps to being able to execute on a plan, right? And the first one is to have what it calls a wildly important goal or, or some, you know, a number or a target you're going for, but you've got to make it an actual number, not just I want to increase turnover, but you have to have a number associated with it and a deadline. So, I had a deadline on my birthday, which was about four months out. So that was my deadline, had my number that I wanted to increase it by. Um, and then the next thing to do was to actually say, well, what are you going to do to track you doing it? So you don't look at the end of the month and say, have I increased it by X turnover, but rather how many proposals or phone calls or repricings do I need to do per week to get to that target at the end of the month? So you track something that's going to indicate whether you're going to reach that target or not. Um, and those two parts in itself will, will get you a long way. And then this, the third and fourth point really to just have a scorecard, um, something that you can easily you know, visually see that you're, you're progressing and then accountability. So you know, I told everyone what I was trying to do here and the repricing challenge that made you um, more accountable as well. So when you mix all those four things together, you just start being able to pick off, pick off clients as you go. And 
I know there's varying approaches. Some people want to go for the, the lower hanging fruit to start with, the smaller ones to build confidence. Sometimes you go for the bigger numbers to start with. But we did overall, over the course of those four months, added around, I think it was around £65,000 to the turnover from those repricings, um, which you know they've, they've carried on since then as well. But it's, that is only around 55% of the client base. So there's still another... Mm-hmm. There's still another 45 percent or so to 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 deal with mm, amazing fantastic so still still lots of uh unlock profit to come uh, and people are always wary of this it was an area that people are a bit uh you know reluctant to do uh because of that the whole mindset thing and that fear of rejection so talk to me about some of you know maybe what were some of the conversations that you encountered that didn't go so well did you have any clients leave or the client grumble and you know how did you counteract that to kind of help other people out yeah i suppose actually the worst conversation i had with a client um that client still actually ended up staying. Um, you know, it was, and it was, it was very, it was very open. It was very honest. It was very kind of one of those clear the air kind. And um, there was, there was, there was a mention of something said about, about it not being fair, but then, you know, you, you and some of these clients have been around for a long time. So you always get the, oh, we've been a client for such a long time. And that is something that plays on your mind when you do this, but a long-term relationship is reciprocal, right? So if they've had something of value for, for that period of time and you've not priced it accordingly then they should also respect that long-term relationship and and do it the other way around there was something i heard along the way i can't remember where it was that i heard it was that sometimes the problem is also terminology so um when we call them clients it sounds like more of a a relationship and you do want to build a relationship don't get me wrong but when you look at it like uh, on the repricing side, you almost need to think of them as customers because customers, when you think about, you know, people who buy products from Amazon, where they're customers, they come, they go, they'll come back again, they'll leave again, another one will come or, or whatever. When you think clients, it just, the mindset kind of locks in on them and you almost fear losing a client. Whereas if it's just a customer and ultimately we are producing a product, a set of accounts is a product, a, a trust is a product an incorporation is a product. Um, when you think about it like that, you kind of think, well, there will be somebody else that will buy this product. Amazing. Um, yeah, there, sorry, there was one other thing actually that came up along the way. Was um, someone said as well, when you're repricing, imagine that you've only just bought the practice. So you have no relationship with these, with the clients, customers, whatever you want to call them. You don't have any relationship with them. You're going in there cold as if this was just a business transaction because it kind of takes the emotion out of the conversation as well. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, some some great points. And I always say it's yeah, as long as you know, there what you need to do is give a reason. Give a reason to the client that there is, there is a reason for changing the price, even if it's been the fact that you haven't had a pricing system all this time, or you're standardizing your pricing process, or the fact that you've plain and simply got it wrong in previous years and you haven't got around to repricing them for the last 10 years. I'm doing it now. So it's a reason, as long as you've got a reason that you know most clients, customers will understand. Um, and often it's us that kind of put those blockers in the way. And quite more often than not, clients will turn around and said, Yeah, we're kind of expecting this. We're wondering why you haven't done it for so long. You know, everybody puts their prices up. You know, we get letters from British Gas, Electric, you know, Netflix, everyone's putting the prices up every year. And we need to get into the habit of treating, you know, our clients as being on a, a, an annual renewal at the at the very least so having a service yeah. renewal with them every single year so you can reprice kind of you know what they're getting and the value they're getting for the price of their pay yeah Perfect. actually and i think the other thing as well is that actually 
the conversations that are bad, they, they, they stick in your mind. But actually, if you were to add them up, there's probably about a dozen mm. out of 150, 170 conversations. Um, and even like I said, some of them didn't even leave. Some of them stayed despite the awkward conversations. So it's, um, it is very much yeah, a blocker you put in your own mind. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's that negativity bias, isn't it? And you'll, you'll, remember the, and you'll remember the bad conversations and forget all the good ones. Yeah, exactly. Good. Okay. So repricing is one area which helped you to get the growth, but what, what did you do to get the other kind of exponential growth? So you're talking, you only started this journey around 2021. So really in the last couple of years, this significant growth has come. So what else did you do for that to materialize? Yeah, I think, and the first one is going to sound really, really basic, but actually, like I said, I wrote it down. So I actually wrote a business plan. Um, and you know, I wrote it because that's what I used to do in a previous life when I was in London. Business plans were a big part of the job, and we had, you know, we hadn't actually had one here. So I thought, right, let's write something down. You know, if I look, if I look at it compared to some of the really detailed ones you used to have to do, it was is very light on detail. But just the fact it was written down, it gave you something to check back against, and and, and compare yourself against. I suppose it comes down to whether you have that sort of natural competitiveness or not against yourself to do better. But if you write it down. You at least you at least started the process off of, of thinking about where you want to get to, um, and I think so. That's that's one thing. The other thing was actually we have taken on quite a lot of clients as well. Um, that's also been part of the growth, and, and that's compliance work and accounts and all that sort of stuff. So we've also grown the team as well. So we're now um, there's eight of us here, a mix of full and part time um, in the team. But that that obviously allowed us more capacity to take on more people. Uh, a lot of those people have been referrals so a lot of the the clients we have refer clients on to us um you know we haven't really unfortunately we're not had to go and do a lot of marketing but actually the biggest area of growth has been from from providing um advisory work and project work to clients so it's an area that we had actually offered as a firm before but it was kind of what i had done for my entire career up to the point i came here and so it's one of those things where perhaps if you're a little bit more comfortable talking in those terms, you were able to offer it as a service. But, and, and it actually links back to the repricing. Because of the repricing, there we built margin, in, built some margin into the business that allowed us to recruit. The person that was recruited in was told that they're going to come in and, and basically take all my compliance work off me. She did that, which then allowed me to go out and have conversations with clients and find out that actually existing clients had a need for extra services. Um, and one of the first conversations I had with the client, we'd been saying for around 10, 12 months, we need to meet, we need to meet. This was, you know, COVID came along or whatever, it kept getting missed. The first time I actually sat down with him, um, he was talking about selling a, a, piece of, a piece of land that he owned. And it was going to be huge capital gain on it. And in that one conversation, we found a solution that saved him around £500,000 of capital gains tax because the land was owned in his personal name. And from that, we got a... Well, what is still our largest piece of uh, work for a single for a single fee? So, the repricing led to that, but it was actually a kind of a new service offering that, as a firm, we didn't offer before, simply because I didn't have the time and the capacity to get out and do that. Amazing. And so, the rest of the growth has mainly come from project type work in the last kind of year or or two. Would you say what what percentage of your that million pounds was one-off project work. And, um, and by project work, I presume you mean tax planning work, right? Tax planning work, yeah. So that's going to be people with um, property portfolios that need to be incorporated into a company or people want trust set up for education 
um, school fee planning and things like that. That is probably now around 25% of the turnover. So that is a large chunk of the growth. That's all half of the growth from where we were in 18 to now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, that that has been the biggest single driver. Along with that, there's been the repricing and then the growth of the team has just allowed new work to come in as well. So the, the project work has been half of the growth. Um, and the thing is, it's all within the existing client base. So, you know, I think, and there's still more within it. We you know, had a meeting this morning with some clients, existing clients have been around for a long time who who want some, some further work done as well. So I think there's a lot more potential locked within all of our client bases than we actually realize. Um, and we just either don't have the time or the, uh, or the, I suppose, maybe confidence to speak about those things. But the, the opportunities are there because every business owner has the same um, issues. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And for, for those of you listening, thinking that, oh, you know, you can't do this, you don't really have a tax background. You didn't either take, you didn't have a tax background. So talk to me about how, how did you develop that kind of expertise or specialism or awareness, really? It's mainly awareness of the issues or the solutions to a problem to then be able to have that conversation with a client to spot the opportunity and then suggest a solution and then price value, you know, value price that solution. Talk to me a little bit about that. Um, so I, I suppose that I, I do have a tax background in that I have, I am CTA qualified, but of course. since qualifying, none of my roles actually required me to use it. So um, when I was in restructuring, that didn't really require using any um, anything that we really learned in the CTA that much. Um, and when I was in industry, it was all, buying and selling assets and company so that wasn't didn't really use it for planning purposes but those bits of experience allowed me to be more comfortable when talking to clients about their group structure or what they have but really what what really actually helped is just speaking to the clients right so clients will ask you a, a specific question and it's almost like you are a bit of a detective having to find out what is it that they really need and there's, you know, if you, I suppose some people might say, yeah, okay, I haven't, I've never done any restructuring work, so I don't, I wouldn't know how to do it. But in, in the course of your accounting career, you would have come across the fact that there you have holding companies, that you have different classes of shares, that you have all these other things. And then as soon as you sort of scratch beneath the surface a little bit of what the client's actually asking for, you get to the bottom of, of what they actually need, because what they ask for and what they need are not normally the, the same and it's just those it's just asking asking why a lot of time is is what gets you to the to the thing they actually need mm, absolutely brilliant and okay so talk to me about how you know how did you how are you pricing for this before we met and how are you pricing for it now what kind of what have you incorporated to get the you know the big fees that you have been getting from clients yeah i think um the main thing is that if you if you only if you still work on the basis of charging for time you're not going to get the value you deserve for these kinds of projects um because that example i gave the idea of how to deal with it came to me in a car journey from our office to their office which is around 25 minutes and then talking to the client about it and then in honesty it's probably taken maybe maybe a full week's work in terms of hours, but that's spread over the last five, six months. So on an hourly basis, it'd be very low, but as I said, we saved him half a million pounds and then you get paid for the value you generate in, in the market, right? So 
the first thing really you have to do is get get in get get out of your mind that you're just charging for how long it takes you to do something because it's clear you can generate a lot of value in a very short period of time and it's only fair that you get paid for that value that you generated so going back to what you said before it's a mindset thing um, about being able to ask for the fee that you deserve for what you've done um you know so there's also you know the, there's the framework res that you that you have as well that talks about how to how to show the value to the client because you yourself can see the value but you've got to explain to the client that if you don't do it this is the potential cost and you know you build it up through there to say well this is how we're going to go about it give them don't don't just say oh trust me i can do it it's okay you've got to give them some some details behind how it's going to get done and then yeah it's a case of of just charging for what you're what value you're creating to them mm. yeah. absolutely and when you've been through that process with clients what kind of feedback have you got you're kind of using the process you're showing the anchor and talk to us about you know how you're using the uh you know three tier pricing three options and, and what kind of response do you get from clients when you when you do that yeah so you know we are i don't you have a number of sessions with them first because when you talk, it dep well, it depends on what type of project it is, right? Let's go for an incorporation, for example, client that's got 25, 30 properties in their in their personal names and they, they need to get it into a limited company. So you've obviously got your time fact finding to work out what exactly is there. Then you've got to work out what the savings are based on you know the, 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 the values versus the purchase prices, the time and the money spent since then, and also kind of what, what money they need to draw out on a regular basis to fund their life and everything so you go through those stages so you're never going to just be able to ask for it in one go and and it also helps them as well build it it, it helps sorry it helps it make it easier for them in that the more conversations you have with them before saying this is the price the more they feel like they're getting something from you as well so you know we have a, we have two or three sometimes four conversations with clients before we actually present the, the put the presentation together and sit down with them and go through the price itself just to increase those number of touch points and then the presentation itself, yeah, you go through, this is what we've got, this is the assumptions, this is the, the, the cost to you of doing nothing, this is potential future cost of doing nothing, right? Once you factor in things like growth and inheritance tax on, on future growth and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and then, then we set the pricing out. And the pricing is very, it is, there are three, three tiers, essentially three packages. And there's a, you know, the, the, the essential, this will get done and there's nothing else to add. You know, there's nothing further will be needed to be done, but it will be set up. Then one where we will we'll, we'll defend the, the package if you need to, and one where if it all goes wrong, then we won't, you know, we'll give you your fees back. And the response from the clients really, really varies based on their own risk averseness. We've had people that have selected across all three different categories, right? Um, and it really just depends on, on well, what the overall saving is to them versus what is in there and also their risk appetite. You can see, you, you know what your clients are like, you could probably guess beforehand which ones will go with the, the defense package, which ones will, will, will just swallow the risk themselves. Um, and they kind of fall in line with that. Absolutely. And it just got to show why, you know, how it, why it works because different people value things differently. Different people have different risk profiles. So if you only ever give one price, then you're going to miss out. Plus, you know, the, the client doesn't have anything to compare with. And that's why, you know, giving three options, particularly in a project-based pricing approach, works very well, as, uh, as Ted just, just talked about. So I we've got yeah, the thing with that as well, with the pricing is the three pricing, is that it, in that conversation, when you're taking through the presentation, 
they're not doing anything. You're doing all the talking. You're doing all the explaining. They're just sat there. So at least at the end, when you give them those choices, they suddenly are participating rather than being told is the price. And I think that in itself helps sometimes get people over that hump. And now they suddenly feel like, okay, this I have, I do have a choice in this, and, mm-hmm. and then they can participate. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, really good point that when you involve the customer in the buying process, you get a better result. And as customers, we love to, you know, we love to, we hate being sold to, but we love to buy. And that's why in anything you buy, whether you're buying a cup of coffee, you're buying a Netflix subscription, you're buying a car or an Apple product, they give you choices. They give you two things. They give you certainty, a fixed price, and they give you a choice. You can spec up that Apple product or that car to whatever you please. And because you're choosing, you're more likely to, uh, you know, to buy because you get the right to choose. So, uh, yeah, fantastic that you have found that too. So uh, probably very close to ending now. So maybe finish with one more question. What does the future hold for UK? What's your what's the what's the plan for the next five years? What's the what's the next target for the big for the next big birthday? Should I ask? <laughs> um, well, I don't actually have one for this year, but next year is one of the big milestones birthdays. So um, I'm sure I'll think of a good a good plan for a good target for that. But uh, no, I think well, right now we, we, we've just hired another person. We're, we're advertising for two more. So there's there's still potential out there to grow. I think, you know, what's become clear is actually um, work is not hard to find if you were, if you actually are out there looking for it. If you're, you know, if you know what it is you're good at and what services you, you're going to sell, then it's not hard to find people that want to work with you, um, that you work well with as well. I think that's the other important point is uh, making sure that, when you're when you're growing is there is clients that, that sort of fit the mold of what you're after um so yeah i think you know for now the growth the, the the target is still growth we've kind of changed how we work internally a bit more this year so not focus so much on increasing turnover that said turnover's still gone up which is nice um or at least it's trending up let's see if it carries on for the next for the remainder of the year uh and then after that yeah i think um i'd be looking to try and try and uh, see what can be done without so much day-to-day involvement like you, Reza. <laughs> Fantastic. Love it. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ted, for uh, for your time today, for uh, sharing your journey with us and no doubt providing some uh, some inspiration, some motivation to others out there to kind of see what's possible and uh, how you can kind of grow your firms with some of the things that Ted has talked about today. So if you haven't already uh, caught up on previous episodes, you can just go to the podcast. They're all on there. This episode should be landing on the podcast as well by the end of the week. Uh, but otherwise, hope you had value from today. If you have any future, if you're listening on replay, pop your questions in the in the comments below and tag either myself or Ted in. And if we see it, then hopefully we'll get around to answering it. Otherwise, thanks again, Ted. Appreciate you uh, coming along today. Thank you for listening and uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and bye for now. I hope you got value from that episode. And if you want to spend more time together, where we go deeper on topics like pricing, marketing, sales, building a team and processes so you can build a firm that is less reliant on you, then come and join the TYP mentoring community. It's my membership program where I deliver practical mentoring sessions from my personal experience of building my practice and share resources that I have created and use in my firm. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel and waste time and money making mistakes like I did. There's an amazing community of 100 plus accountants that you get to meet every week, share challenges, best practices, and use the power of the group to shortcut your learnings. Go to resahooda.com forward slash mentoring to find out more. Thank you for listening. 
For more free content, videos, and resources, visit www.rezahuda.com. And if you haven't already, come and join the community in our Transform Your Profits Facebook group, where we support each other to build more successful, profitable, and impactful accounting firms.